We have been down the road of Romans 12, 1 and 2 before, but it's been three months <laughs> since we got there. Um, just, just some uh, repetition, brief repetition of what we said. Um, we're introducing with these first two verses the whole last part of the book of, La- of Romans. So 12, 1 and 2 should not be memorized as isolated verses that have no relationship to anything else. They are inherently tied to the context. So we, we see on the screen the basic motivation for what he's about to say is the mercies of God. Those mercies of God are laid out in chapters 1 to 11. Uh, then, uh, get it where I can see it now, there are two basic instructions. One is uh, to present your body as a living sacrifice. Um, in older um, theologies, in older spiritual life teaching, people would say the word present is aorist. And since it's aorist, it's once for all. And one very famous, very well-known spiritual life teacher used to say, every Christian needs to come to a, a, a final moment where he presents his whole life as, as a sacrifice to God. That's, that's all nice spiritual life teaching. It just doesn't come from this text. But other than that, it's no problem. <laughs> the, word, the, the tense is, is used in contexts where it talks about once for all things, but the tense doesn't mean that. If you want to say le- least with a Greek verb, um, you put it in this tense. So all you're emphasizing is the action. You're not telling anything about how it occurs. Am I making sense to you? The, 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 the function of this is to say, I want you to make a sacrifice. But it's going to be a particular kind of sacrifice. It's going to have three characteristics. It's going to be holy, uh, I'm sorry, living, holy, and acceptable. Uh, the very qualification of the sacrifice as living means that it can't be once for all. <laughs> no? No? No, it's an aorist, part of, uh, aorist imperative. The, the, but, but the fact that you call it a living sacrifice, it's just an adjective in Greek. The fact that you call it a living sacrifice means that it's going to take your life to do it. Are you with me here? It's going to be a lifelong kind of thing. It's far more costly than a dead sacrifice. And we talked about this when we were here. Um, the average ox can only be sacrificed once. <clears throat> Amen? So... <laughs> But if I'm making a living sacrifice, it's going to cost me probably every day of my life in one way or another. In that it's holy, it's dedicated to God, and since it's dedicated to God, it must be distinct. That is, it must have characteristics that are like God in some respect. It's fascinating. In the book of Leviticus, you have two significant passages that bear on this issue. And those, uh, one is Leviticus 1 to 7 where constantly, when you're talking about animal sacrifice, they have to be without blemish. And then, I think it's Leviticus, let's see, 20, maybe 24, <clears throat> maybe 25, there are the qualifications of the priest. Would you, would you like to guess at some of the qualifications for a priest in the Old Testament? No blemish. One wife. Both testicles. No blemishes. We're getting too much information now. 
Leave, leave it to the nephrologist to bring this up. <laughs> I would have thought there would have been some spiritual and, uh, and uh, uh, personal characteristics, wouldn't you? Would you? Would you? There are none. There are no personal characteristics, no spiritual characteristics, no character, char- uh, character characteristics. Uh, um, only physical, and they are exactly the same as the animals to be sacrificed. No, no physical defa- uh, deformity at all. So my step. They have to be a Levite, but uh, that's that's already assumed. So you're talking about the priests. You're talking about the Levites. So from that point, you move on to the qualifications. Um, a man who has my stepfather was as spiritual a man as I I have known in my life. <clears throat> wise, remarkably wise. I look back at a picture that was made not long after my my mom and stepfather got married, and I thought. He, he was really young. He was 35, I think, when they got married. 35, I guess. And uh, that was... He's only 12 years older than I am. So, I, but I thought he was a whole lot more mature than 35. Are you with me here? Uh, but he, he had had polio when he was a kid and had a hunchback and couldn't be a priest. If he were, if he were of the priestly line, he could not be a priest. The spiritual and 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 uh, intellectual qualifications that he would otherwise have would be of no consequence because there were none. It was just physical qualifications. But the 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 person who stands near the Lord, the animal who stands near the Lord, must be as much like the Lord as a creature can be. So, no physical deformities. Are you with me here? So, if it's a holy sacrifice, it has to be a sacrifice that reflects the nature of God. But now we've moved beyond physical characteristics. There are no physical standards for these sacrifices. There are only spiritual characteristics. Are you with me here? So, unfortunately, a degree from Dallas Seminary is not among them. (laughs) So, the the point is... Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um... Unfortunately, Dallas Theological Seminary appears no place in Scripture. It should, <laughs> but it doesn't. So, uh, and we'll, we'll come out with a new translation and find it in the text. It's probably in the Bible code someplace. So, uh, and it must be acceptable. That is, pleasing to the Lord. Right? So, so what does a sacrifice look like that's living holy and acceptable to the Lord, pleasing to the Lord. But there's a second instruction on which this first one depends. I can't make this sacrifice unless I have uh, my mind uh, transformed. um, And I can't can't have my mind transformed unless I have uh, uh, this teaching of the book of Romans. So in effect, Romans 1 to 11 functions as the foundation for the renewal of the mind. The, the goal of Romans is not to make you a Calvinist. <laughs> the goal of Romans is not to make you an Arminian. A Calminian, maybe, but not... Are you with me? It's, it's, to, it's to prepare you to make this living sacrifice. 
uh, once again, when you're when you're making a persuasive speech, and it's it's the rare speech that doesn't aim at persuading in some form. Is it, would that be correct? When you're making a persuasive speech, you want to put your point. You want to build to a point, and that point will be to move people to, to act upon what you're trying to persuade him about. Yes? Well, Paul has been building to a point. He's now arriving at the point. But if you haven't imbibed the teaching of chapters 1 to 11, you don't have your mind renewed. If you don't have your mind renewed, you're not ready for the, the spiritual sacrifice. This is not about how to become spiritual. This is how spiritual people function. Are you with me here? So I'm not crucifying myself. As one of the old preachers said, crucifying yourself is very difficult because you might be able to get one hand nailed up, but what do you do with the other one? It's always flailing. So, <laughs> so uh, And then people talk about crawling off the cross. Well, no, you can't crawl off the cross. If you're crucified, you're pretty much there. Yes? Uh, you've got things tacked down and you can't move. Uh, they, the, the larger issue is not that this is not about Rather, the larger issue is that this is not about how to become spiritual. It's what spiritual people do, how they function. Uh, Georgina, did you? Yes. Yeah. Um, in, in the old days, how did a priest know that his sacrifice was acceptable? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, in, the, in, the, in ancient times when the Levitical priests were functioning, how did they know when the sacrifice was acceptable? And the answer is, I don't know. The rabbis had some interesting views. Uh, when, a, when a burnt offering was made, the Hebrew word for burnt offering means ascending. And so in one of the important rabbinical writings, they, they taught that no matter how, how hard the wind was blowing, the smoke of the, of the acceptable burnt offering always went straight up. I, I will reserve the right to doubt that. Yes. Okay. Didn't it have a sweet aroma? Well, but this, all three of them did, whatever they, you, you have done this, brothers and sisters, you've done this. You walk down the street on a late spring evening. Yes, you're out for a walk on a late spring evening. It's one of those perfect evenings. Sun's just low enough that it's not just blinding you. Yes, the light is still there and it's a pleasant pleasant breeze, yes? And you turn a corner and walk down a street and you smell somebody's barbecuing. And you think, oh, I wish I were their friend. I was just in your neighborhood. I didn't know you were living in here. And here you are. And I, maybe I could get invited to the barbecue. There was, an, there was a, a Roman poet who's um, whose cognomen is his, we call it a last name because it was last, but it was not the last, that was not the family name, that was his nickname. But his nickname was Nose, Naso. And one of the other poets said, Oh, I, I, how, how I wish that I were all Nose so that I might en enjoy him the more. And that's the way I feel when I smell that cooking. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> can't get enough, yes? Yeah. Well, that's the way these things were presented. Uh, the, the way they were cooked made them smell good, and they, they then were imaging the, the um, pleasure that God would get out of the sacrifice. But not all sacrifices were equal acceptable, as, as you would know. So how would you know? And I, I really don't have an answer. Um, Maybe because 
because we, well, there's no evidence of that either. So, so you 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 um, you must have your mind renewed. So he wants us to be transformed. It's going to take the renewing of the mind. That's probably going to mean for a book like Romans, going back over Romans 1 to 11 over and over again. And the effect of that, the goal of that, is to demonstrate something about the will of God, specifically three things, that it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Uh, All of you know, uh, if you've walked with the Lord any time at all, you all know of circumstances you have faced that were the, the best you could wish was that you could get out of them. Yes? Um, I, had, I had a prof in, in seminary who was as dull a man. I, he was a brilliant man, but he was a terrible communicator, horrible communicator. We, he would give us a three-by-five card. At, this was in, in the more advanced classes I had. He'd give us a three-by-five card, write your name, your address, and your phone number, and your wife's name, and your children's names, and then turn it over. And if you have any prayer requests, uh, what, what, what are your prayer requests, and what would you like to get out of this course? And with him, my answer for that was always me. I want to get me out of this course. Yes? So, so if, I, if I didn't have to take this course, I wouldn't, because... Uh, uh, some of the courses that, that, oh boy, some of them were tough. Uh, but the, the, the point is, when you get into really bad circumstances, things are really hard, yes? But once you get past them, at some point, looking back, is it not the case? Sometimes, at least, you think, I wouldn't sign up for that again for a million dollars, but I'm so thankful I went through that. And look at what the Lord did with all that. Haven't you been there? at times well that's that's what this perfection the goodness and acceptability and put and perfection of the will of god is you will demonstrate that you will show it in your life you will carry it out uh so so if verse two is the prerequisite for verse one but verse one is the big point then i have to come back and ask well how then do you make your body a living sacrifice and as we've pointed out Earlier, um, in this passage, going all the way through 1513, there are three sections that tell you how to do this. The first section, uh, uh, 12, 3 to 8, you make your body a living sacrifice by serving one another in your spiritual gifting. Okay? Are you with me here? You make your body a living sacrifice by, by serving one another with their, in your spiritual gifting. Uh, we have it a little more fully stated up here. Those who are righteous by faith should offer their living sacrifice expressed in ministry through spiritual gifting. But we're serving one another. Uh, I, I have asked students for years, verse 3, what, or, or I say verses 3 to 8 is the first way you make your body a living sacrifice. What is it? And they will start with verse 3. Why? Because verse 3 begins the paragraph. <laughs> and they will say, well, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Okay, but how do I escape that? And the answer is in the rest of the paragraph. I must understand I don't exist for myself. I exist for the body of Christ. And if I exist for the body of Christ, not for myself, then the appropriate way to make my my body a living sacrifice is by way of spiritual gifting. But there are two more. 
beginning at verse 9 and going through 1513, uh, you make your body a living sacrifice by loving without pretense. Genuine, uh, unfeigned love. Yes? There's one thing all of you know, especially the mothers. Love is sacrificial. Is that true? It's just, it's just the way it is. There is no such thing as love that's not <coughs> sacrificial. And it's costly, isn't it? Uh, you have to have a, a changed mindset when you have a baby. <laughs> yes? As you're having the baby, you're, you're changing your mind. <laughs> but I'm, talking, I'm not talking about wishing we hadn't done this. I'm talking about you have to change the way, whole way you think about life. Life isn't the same anymore. Um, and then third, you make your body a living sacrifice. Oi, I'm sorry. I, have, I thought I had a summary up. So uh, 12, 9 to uh, 15, 13, 14, um, those who are righteous by faith must offer their living sacrifice through sincere love, which is a serving thing. Love serves. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, who was it? My son-in-law. We were in Memphis this weekend for our granddaughter's, um, what would you call it, Jen? It wasn't a recital. Ballet. Ballet performance. Spring performance. Spring performance. And our son-in-law got to talking about his grandmother. And uh, he said, it didn't make any difference what time of day or night you walked in. If it was 11 p.m., would you like a hamburger? I could fix you a hamburger. Oh, no, we just eaten. No, no, go I, I can fix it. It'll only take 10 minutes. It's frozen, but it'll only take 10 minutes. I can make some fries. I've got some extra cookies around. You want to make some cookies? And, and she was always wanting to serve. Are you with me here? Love serves. It's its nature. And then finally, 14.1 um, through Oy vey. I thought I had some summary here. 14.1 to 15.13, um, you make your body a living sacrifice by accepting people who differ with you over the way the Christian life should be lived. So in this passage, there are people who won't eat meat and there are people who do eat meat. How do you get along? Uh, well, the answer is not like they do in 12.3, because in 12.3, um, the strong despise the weak and the weak condemn the strong how are you going to change that unless you have a renewed mind and unless you have the attitude that the whole point of Paul's teaching is that we must be self-sacrificial why um, whoever would be my disciple must deny himself take up his cross and follow me Daily, yeah. So take up the cross. What what is the cross for Jesus? It's 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 his self sacrifice. He he sacrifices all his ambitions, all his hopes, all his dreams, assuming that he had any. Even his dignity. Even his dignity uh to serve people who hate him. Who wanted to kill him. Yeah. I I don't mean this to digress, but it, to what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I always hope to, hate to quote other people, but Henry Blackaby. It's hard to quote anything else but other people. I know, but I always try to quote people. Yes, okay. <laughs> so Henry Blackaby used to say that we are not called to die on the cross like Jesus. We are called to die under it. 
He said, take up your cross daily. Yeah. Follow me. Yeah. Do you agree with that? No. The point is, you, you you embrace the cross, and the cross is what costs Jesus everything. His point was that the cross was his calling. Yes. And you and I will die mm-hmm. giving our lives yeah. to the calling. Yeah. Whatever it is God calls us yeah. to do. Yeah. And it may be to death. Um, it may not, but for, for many it has been death. Uh, so so as we start with 12.3, then we're looking at the first of three ways of making your body a living sacrifice. Part of uh, in, in this passage, 12.3 uh, uh, to 8... Uh, the ideas are fairly straightforward. We can work with them pretty quickly. You will understand them. There's not a lot of explanation that needs to be made. So, verses, uh, verse 3. For I say, through the grace that has been given to me, for every one of you, or for everyone who is among you, that you, you must think, not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And again, the word think is not just having thoughts in your mind. It's the mindset that you have. It's, it's the worldview, the value system that you have. Um, we, we must achieve a position where we think of ourselves properly. Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. It's at least thinking appropriately of yourself. It is not humble to say, uh, <laughs> I heard... Who was that? I can't remember. You would know the name if I could if I could come up with it. I heard someone say years ago, if uh, I heard a, a, a young woman sing and she sang very nicely, and I went up and I commented her, complimented her. I said, "I really enjoyed your singing. That was a good song. Thank you for singing it." She said, "Oh, brother, that was the Lord." And he said, "Well, if it was, he didn't do that good a job because I heard somebody else last week who sang a whole lot better and they said the same thing." So, so. Don't, don't throw things off that, you know, you say, well, I do it for the Lord. Are you with me? Or whatever. You Better just say, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I've learned to say uh, uh, it really is encouraging to hear that. Thank you. Um, but real humility, real humility, is being free from having to think about yourself. You're just not really in the in the equation. And when that happens, I'm not there. My wife knows that. Uh, so and she's here, so I can't lie now. I could lie if she weren't here. What'd you say? <laughs> the 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 issue is though just. Your first thoughts are not about yourself. So what are they about? Well, verse 4, let's move on. Um, verses 4 and 5. For just as uh, in a body there are many members, and the members don't all have the same function, so, so we who are many are one body in Christ and members of each other. So the basic point you know this very well. I, I was astonished to see in one of the commentaries that ought to know better that Paul's not referring to the church as the body of Christ. I, I, I think verse 5 is saying that. We who are many are one body. And if that's the case, we've done this before, folks. This fingernail has never scratched its own finger ever in my entire life and never will. Amen? Is that true? Yeah. Why does it exist? 
to pick up dimes, amen, <laughs> and to scratch my head. Are, are you with me here? That's why it exists. Yes? What would you say? And scratch my wife's back, she said. Uh, <laughs> uh, amen. No, no member of the body exists to serve itself. If you, if you made the body a symbol of a, or a, 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 an illustration of a local church, in smaller churches you have kitchen committees. Yes? I, I suppose we have one here too. But I don't know. I don't know about the, the committee structure here. Um, you have kitchen committees. And one thing I hear kitchen committees saying over the years is, everybody just expects us to do all the work. Well, what, what exactly did you think the kitchen committee was going to be about? Yeah. You, 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 they asked you to join it. What did you think it was going to be about? Did you think you were going to sit around and admire the kitchen? What precise? Doing dishes is what? Setting up. Tearing down. Yes? Is what kitchen, but folks, my hand may say, the tongue gets to enjoy all the food, and I've never enjoyed any food ever since I was about three. Yes. Uh, so y'all put it in my ear. <laughs> uh, uh, I want to enjoy some of the food. You do as a hand. Enjoy the food because the food is the digestion process has begun in the mouth, yes? And then it's carried on throughout the body, and eventually the, the good of the food comes to the hand. Yes? It's just that I don't get the same enjoyment, the same kind of enjoyment that the mouth gets out of the food. But that's the point. The hand must bring the, the food to the mouth in order for the mouth to enjoy it so that the hand can profit from it. If I don't think of myself as a member of a body, or, but as an individual, I exist to be served. That's what I thought when I was a little kid. <laughs> and that's when my mother started teaching me that good American doctrine. Nobody owes you anything in this world. Nothing comes to you free. You've got to work for it that I had to jettison once I had to learn about grace. Are you with me? So, so sometimes our good humanistic teaching gets in the way of grace. Doesn't mean we mustn't do it, but we must nuance it properly. So, so I've got to start thinking of myself not as an individual who is a member of a church, but a member of the body of Christ that's expressed in a church. Does this make sense to you? And if that's the case, then I don't exist for myself. I exist for the body of Christ. That is the reason for my existence in, in a broad sense. That leads then, pardon question? Okay. That leads then to verses 6, 7, and 8. Uh, so in these three verses, we're going to talk about several spiritual gifts. The purpose here is not to give a list of the spiritual gifts and teach us what they are and figure out what gift you have. It's not even a complete list. We only have seven of them here, but let's look at them. Verse 6. Do, how, how does verse 6 begin with your text? Yes. Having therefore or then. Yes. yes, since. And something like that would be right. All of those are right on target. Since we have gifts that are given to us according to the, uh, with differences according to the grace that's been given to us. 
then uh, the ESV adds a long line in um, in italics. Then you should then here's the way you ought to serve. They say something like that, and so verse seven goes on. Um, I'm sorry, verse six goes on. If you have the gift of prophecy, um, do it with a certain qualification. That is, what do you have? The analogy of faith? In proportion to his faith. This is a tough phrase, and uh, the commentaries seem to be divided on this. I, I, my, own anal- my own inclination is to read it according to the standard of the faith. That is to say, any prophet who speaks... I'm, I'm not a prophet because I prepare my messages. You, you may think I don't, but I do. <laughs> I just do it informally, not formally. Um, anyone who's preparing a message is not a prophet. Uh, 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 our pastor is not a prophet. He would not claim to be a prophet. A prophet gets his message directly from God. Um, Ezekiel, when he is called as a prophet... God gives him a book. Remember John, the, the book of Revelation? Uh, God gives him a book, a scroll, and he says, eat it. And subsequently God says, I have put, see, I have put my word in your mouth. Yes? How does that relate today to people who say they prophesy? Well, if there are two things, there are two tests of a prophet. In uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, the one that we're most familiar with is that the uh, prophet must prophesy and, and those things come to pass. So if they don't come to pass, he's not a prophet. He's spoken presumptuously and must be stoned to death, according to the law. The other test of a prophet is in Deuteronomy 12, 13. Deuteronomy, I always get that wrong. Deuteronomy 13. And the test of a prophet there is that you must teach according to previous revelation. And that's one of the reasons I think that in this passage we ought to, we ought to make that interpretation of, of verse 7. The idea is, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says that uh, two or three prophets may speak in the church and the rest must, must discern. Well, what are you discerning? Is the message that the so-called prophet is giving consistent with prior revelation? If it's not, he's shown to be a false prophet. And under the law, he must be stoned. Uh, Fred? No, that's not what that's not what the scripture says. Um, uh, people say, but the New Testament prophet is different from the old. I can't figure out how. Uh, New Testament prophets predict the future. Uh, they uh, they get the word directly from God, and so I don't know how they're different. Um, there there are one or two other things that people say to make that point, but I don't want to go into it right now. So. Um, the prophet must speak in, in, in coherence with previous revelation. If he doesn't, if God is a God of truth, is God a God of truth? Yes. Truth is coherent, among other things, but it is coherent. Yes? Are you with me? And if truth is coherent, then God's word must be coherent. If God says something self-contradictory, then it's not God. It's some other God. Yes, sir. So from my youth, I've heard that prophecy has two meanings, to, to tell the future or to foretell. Yeah. In other words, to 
speak what's already in the Bible, but to speak it forth. Are you saying that only one of those meanings? Uh, to separate them is is to falsify the concept in the Bible. You are you are a pro, you are a proclaimer, but you in the proclamation you also predict the future. Uh, not always, but you don't. And not everything you say is predicting the future, but everything that you say must be the word of God. And and when He predicts the future, you predict the future. Yes, it will be. It's it's coherent. It it's not saying the same thing, but it has to be coherent. So this I, I, turn to turn to Romans chapter three. Uh, we've we we know two passages about this uh, that are significant on this regard on this point. In Romans chapter three, verse twenty one. But now, but now, without the law, righteousness of God is revealed, being testified by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no difference. So, well, let's, let's stop there. Testified by the law and the prophets. If Paul is bringing a new kind of righteousness, then he's a false prophet. He's, not, he's saying, I'm not bringing a new kind of righteousness. Go to Romans 4 so we'll see this. In Romans 4, he will spell out that verse uh, 21. Uh, Verse 2, I'm sorry, verse uh, 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Um, Now to him who works, his reward is not accounted according to grace, but according to debt. But to him who does not work, uh, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. As also David um, testifies uh, or speaks of the blessedness of the man whom, to whom God will account righteousness without works. Uh, blessed are they whose sins are whose uh, lawless acts are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not account sin. So he's showing that his message is coherent with previous revelation. Turn to Matthew chapter five. Yes, Moses is the foundational prophet. Yeah, everything goes back to Moses. So Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18, um, no, 17. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I have not come to destroy but to fulfill. Um, uh, Even Jesus has to show that his message is consistent with previous prophets. So in verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to the ancients, You shall not murder. That's a direct statement of God. That's not even through a prophet. Then he says, But I say to you. He's not pitting himself against Moses. He's pitting himself against God. Does he have the right to do that? Yeah, because <laughs> he's not pitting himself against anything. He's spelling out what that meant. So he says, um, uh, verse 22, I say to you, the one who's angry with his brother is liable to the judgment. The, 
Nobody under the law thought in those terms. Everybody in the law thought what I thought when I was a child. We were studying the Ten Commandments, as we did yearly. <laughs> and we got to this, and, well, that's one thing I'm pretty much free of. Never murdered. I don't even know what adultery is. Infantry is where the nursery workers are. <laughs> adultery must be where the, the adults are. I didn't know what else to do with it. <laughs> so, so uh, my, the, the, the point, the, the, the revelation is not uniform, it's coherent. Okay? There's a difference. Um, let's go back to Romans then 12. If you're going to, if, if, if you are placed in the body of Christ with the ministry of prophecy, then you must prophesy according to the, to the standard of the faith. Verse 7. If, you're, if your gift is service, get involved in serving. Who? Whom should I serve? Everyone. The body. Uh, only the weak? Only the strong? Whom should I serve? Even the people I dislike. Even the people doing things that I don't like, but I can't prove they're not scriptural. Are you with me here? Verse 8 continues. The one who shares, let him do it with Oh, is that what you have? Did I skip one? Oh, you sure did. The one who exhorts, let him do it. Get involved in exhorting. That's one thing I don't like to do is to exhort. Um, I I'll say a little bit more about spiritual gifts before we're done. The one who shares, let him do it with liberality. Uh, you know the story, perhaps some of you do, of uh, uh, R.J. Letourneau. Yes? R.J. or R.G.? R.G. Okay, Robert R.G. Letourneau. Um, I always thought he was different from R.G. Lee, but it's R.G. Letourneau. Okay, got it. Um, R.G. Letourneau. Was he had patent? I, how many patents did the guy have? Hun, hundreds, thousands, maybe, in oil field equipment. Mostly, uh, he invented the road grader, the bulldozer, the earth mover, the sheet. Wow. Yikes! Floor, rubber tires on heavy equipment. And beyond that, what did he do? Uh, played bingo with his. Yeah, but he made so much money. But he was a Christian, and he determined to live on ten percent and give away ninety. And was still fabulously wealthy. Um, uh, so if you have the gift of sharing, be generous in it. Um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are very important on that. It's the longest New Testament passage on giving. Um, verse 8 continues. Uh, the one who you have, do you have govern? Leads? Leads. The word is, is managing. Um, it's the word used in the uh, qualifications for the elder. He must manage his own household well, for he can't, if he can't manage his own house, how will he manage the house of God? Um, but the idea of, of managing, I had a, a good friend, he's still with us, took me to India several times with him. He was a mid-level manager at Xerox Corporation, and he said, it never bothered me to have men, people working for me who knew more about the job than I did said, as a manager, that wasn't my job. It was their job to know what they were supposed to do. My job was to define the, the task, to give them the, the, the resources, 
give them the authority to do the work and get out of their way and hold them accountable. He said, it didn't bother me to have people working for me that knew better than I. That's managing, folks. So you do that with zeal. Um, well, golly, I've just, where did that go? There it is. The one who is, this, this one is interesting. What is this gift? Showing mercy. Showing mercy. <sighs> folks, this is where I, I really come back to verses 1 and 2. Um, it's, it's easy to think of a prophet just sitting there on the couch watching gun smoke. <laughs> yes, reruns, of course. And, and all of a sudden, a prophecy comes to him, and he starts talking. Then he sits back and goes watching gun smoke again. Yes? Uh, we, we, don't, we don't think necessarily about that as being service as such. Yes? Does that make sense to you? But this, in, this entails... Because you've all had impressions about things that you should say to somebody. Sometimes they were good. And sometimes they were bad. Yes? So how do I know if I'm a prophet that this is from God? It's got to be coherent with God's word. So that probably means the prophet has to be in the scriptures clarifying, making sure he understands the word of God so that when a message comes, he knows who it's from. Am I making sense to you? But when you start talking about showing mercy, brothers and sisters, think about what showing mercy means. Who needs mercy? Undesirables, guilty, uh, people who are in desperate need, prisoners. There are people all, all over our world that needs, need mercy. Very few of them are the kind of people we like to be around. Yes? So if you're, if you're gifted with the gift of mercy, it's going to be costly to you every time you carry it out. This, these observations, notice, folks, this paragraph began with verse 3. Yes? That means almost surely. There are verses 1 and 2 before them. Yes? I know, I know. It's astonishing what you learn in the class. Uh, but that means, then, folks, I've got to bring verses 1 and 2 with me through verses 3 to 8. And in each of these, we're going to have to start thinking about spiritual gifting not as something that's fun or that we enjoy, but something that's costly and is going to be difficult. But if I will embrace it, see, uh, if, if you have the gift of, of giving, there, pro- <laughs> you, there are probably a thousand more places that come and ask you for money. Are you with me? Um, so who has enough to give? R.J. Letourneau gave 90%. R.G. Letourneau, I'll get it right in a minute. But uh, the, the, My point is, folks, it's going to be costly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt at times to show mercy. I have a friend in Oklahoma City. Her sister sat two rows ahead of me, her daughter sat two rows ahead of me and just to my left this morning in church. Uh, um, they visited our class a time or two, but uh, her name was Shirley. Shirley had had polio when she was a child, but I'm, I'm almost convinced that Shirley had the gift of mercy. Uh, when I was pastoring a little church in Oklahoma City, I had a lady in our church whose son had, they called it back then bipolar, well, what did they call it? Um, manic depressive. Manic depressive, now it's bipolar disorder. 
and he'd get off his meds when he was feeling good, and then he'd just crash and burn. And and uh, and my the lady in the church was just beyond her wits. I mean, she was she was not she was in troubled at a basic level of her life. And I called Shirley one day, and I knew she had had some problems with one of her daughters. And I said, "Would you be able to help her?" And she said, "Jim, I just can't." She said, "It takes so much strength out of me." And if you're a former polio patient, she was already beginning to to suffer from post-polio syndrome, though they didn't know about it. This was back in the 1970s. And um, she said, it takes so much out of me, I just can't afford it. She said, I've got things going on now that I can't take on anybody new. And that was the first inkling I ever had about this notion. If the first thing Paul wants to tell us about making spiritual, making a living sacrifice is about our spiritual gifting, what if the essence of spiritual gifting is that it's sacrificial? And if it's sacrificial, the average ox probably didn't enjoy being, being sacrificed. And if that's the case, then why do we assume that our spiritual gift is something that we enjoy? It's not for you to enjoy. With maturity, we ought to come to enjoy doing the will of God. But it's not for you to enjoy, it's for others to enjoy. Um, I'm at Dallas Seminary teaching because of a friend who told me, and I don't have time to tell this story, but I'll make it quick. He said, Jim, I know you want to be involved in missions, but he said, you, you're too old to be really effective. You need to, to go to Dallas and send five other men in your place. And I, don't, I didn't like the information. I didn't like that counsel when I got it, when I told Jan she didn't like it because it meant leaving Memphis and leaving our family. All three children were there. Our, our sole granddaughter was there at the time, and we had to move away to Dallas and leave our family. That's not the way things work. You stay in the family home and the children move away. Yes? <laughs> Instead, we sold the family home and moved away ourselves. Uh, but that's why I'm here, folks, not because I wanted long it was my aspiration to be on the faculty, not by that point. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to get involved in missions. There's too much work to do. But the Lord had a different plan. So the, so the issue for us, folks, is look around for um, needs in the church. Go get involved in them. Look around for needs in the world. Go get involved in them. And eventually, one of two things will happen. Either God will keep putting you in the same kind of situation where you're always dealing with the same kind of thing over and over again, or somebody in the church. My body, my, my fingernail doesn't know it's a fingernail, doesn't know it's for scratching. Yes? But the head does. And so my head directs the fingernail almost always on target. Amen? But also the body knows my fingernail is for scratching. Are you with me? So it may be like my pastor friend who said, you need to go to Dallas and send five in your place instead of going yourself. Multiply your ministry. Uh, so. But now that you're doing that, don't you find joy in fulfilling that? I'm learning to. Uh, the... Um, uh, let's see that that raised a point that flitted through my mind. Who we, we had another one of those 
pasteurized situations. Uh, um, so, so quit. Oh, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Quit worrying. The head knows. And the body knows. So you just go get involved in ministry. Let, let me say this last thing. I've got to quit. Um, um, of all the spiritual gifts, just think through the list. Leave out the ones that are overtly miraculous. There's no such thing as a spiritual gift that's not miraculous, but there are things that are overtly miraculous. All right? Think, leave out the ones that are overtly miraculous. How many of those that you can think of are we commanded to do anyway? All of them. So if you just get obedient, if you just get busy obeying what we're told to do in the body of Christ, the head will know and the body will know, and they will say, "Yeah, I know you want to get over involved over here, but we need you over here. What you're doing over here is so mean, meaningful. You you need to be here. Does that make sense to you? So quit worrying about your spiritual gifting. Just go get involved in serving the body of Christ." And serving a lost world, because that's what the, the, the we have an internal function and an external function. So you just get involved, and then see what the head and the body does with you. Let's close with prayer. Father, uh, you 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 know I I knew a man once who thought his spiritual gift was mowing the the, the yard at church. Um, there was a kind of organizational service he was doing, but there was no spiritual dimension to it. Father, get us over thinking that what our talents are are guides to um, our spiritual gifting. Our gifting is what you intend to do through us, and what you intend to do through us must be known and shown to be your work and your work only. So, um, so make your work evident in us as we seek to serve. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen.